Well, if you see a pineapple, say pineapple. <laughs> Those of you that followed the live stream last summer know what that's about. We had a little game going for a while, but there's another purpose in my having it this morning, wearing my shirt. I figured I'd go all out. I got my pineapple shirt on. I got the actual pineapple here. Um, you know, pineapple is probably my favorite fruit. I love pineapple. Um, and, uh, you know, I eat it every chance I get. But pineapple is also one of those things, you know, if you're going to eat a pineapple, it's not like eating an apple. You know, you wash an apple off, you just go to town, right? Pineapple takes a little more work than that. If you're going to cut up a pineapple, just take a knife and do it. It's going to take you a little while, right? Uh, you know, watermelon's similar. It's going to take you a little bit to do that. Um, even if you have a pineapple skinner, there's work involved. It makes it easier, but you still you got to cut the top off. You got to use some, you know, some elbow grease, get in there, and really, really get after it. But uh, once you do, boy, it's good, isn't it? I mean, uh, if you like pineapple like I do, uh, it's, I mean, it's it's something else. A few years ago, Mandy's folks uh, went to Hawaii and brought back some pineapple. That's that's good stuff right there. I'm gonna tell you, uh, but it, it it takes time. It takes effort to get to the good part. It takes patience if you're going to eat a pineapple, right? It's not immediate gratification. you got to work for a few minutes. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And that's why I believe the pineapple is a good fruit to illustrate what we're talking about today. Patience in our series that we continue on the fruit of the Spirit called Fruit Gushers. You remember the candy. Uh, it's been around for over 30 years. It has the juice on the inside. You bite into it, and it just, it just explodes in your mouth, an explosion of flavor. And that's the idea behind our study on the fruit of the Spirit. And the theme is that we, the fruit of the Spirit is it's about a lifestyle. I mean, it is, it is authentic Christian living to the glory of God. And that the Holy Spirit, we have the fruit in our lives. It flows in us from the presence of the Holy Spirit but should flow out of us uh, for the advancement of the gospel and to the glory of God. It's only possible because the Holy Spirit lives within us, but it also should flow out of us. Again, authentic Christian living for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. We see the fruit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. We'll read those verses again as we have each week. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Remember, we cannot, this fruit that exists, we cannot cultivate it on our own. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for us to have this fruit. But also, we can't just sit back and do nothing and expect the Holy Spirit to cultivate it with our doing nothing. We do have a part in it. Uh, and that's, that's something that we need to understand is that it's both and not either or. There's, we have a role in displaying, cultivating and displaying this fruit. It's not possible without the Holy Spirit, but he gives us a part in exercising uh, gifts, exercising spiritual disciplines to cultivate this fruit. The secret to the, f- the flow of fruit in our lives and unity with God and others is submission. It's yielding to the Holy Spirit. If we're going to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to see it uh, and experience it on the inside and have it flow on the outside, then we've got to submit daily to the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ that produces this in us. And we also need to remember that the fruit is singular, not plural. Uh, If you are a child of God walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, in submission to the Holy Spirit, you're going to display all of these flavors, not just a couple. 
And that's a good way to understand it, is that it's one fruit with nine flavors. It's not separate fruit. They're all a part of the same fruit. So this week we look at patience. You know, we don't like that word, do we? You've heard people say, don't pray for patience. God might give it to you. But we need patience. We do. I mean, it, it, we, we desperately, I believe there's a shortage of patience in our, in our culture today for many reasons. Uh, but we desperately, we don't like to talk about it, but we need it. And we see examples. We don't like to wait on things. It's one of the reasons we don't like patience. Uh, never forget reading uh, a, a story about a guy who was, and you probably had, you may have had this happen. I don't know. You, you're, you're driving along, you stop at a red light, and your car stalls out, right? And around here, I mean, you, you, you wait a half a second when that light turns green, what's going to happen? Yeah, somebody's going to honk at you. They call that a New York minute. If you've ever been to New York, and it's, St. Louis is bad too, I'll tell you what, they like their horns in St. Louis, and they do around here too. But, you know, if you, this guy's car stalls at, at uh, the red light, and the people backed up behind him, and he's trying like nothing to get it started. And, I mean, there's just a, a chorus of horns behind him, just beep, beep, beep. I'm just, you know, all as far back as he could see. And he tried and tried and tried and just couldn't get it started. So, finally, frustrated, he gets out of his car. He goes to the guy behind him who's been honking the whole time, and he said, I, I, my car is stalled. I have tried everything I can think of to get it started. So I'll tell you what, you go up there, see if you can get my car started. I'll stay back here and honk your horn for you. <laughs> but <laughs> we don't like to wait. We don't like waiting on things. So is that patience? Is, is patience just simply waiting? It's like the little boy at the department store standing in front of an escalator. He's just standing there. A lady walks up to him and says, little boy, are you lost? And he said, nope, I'm just waiting for my gum to come back around. <laughs> so is it just waiting, and is it waiting on something? I think patience is more than that, you know. I think there's more to it than that. It's, it's how we cope with life. It's the ability to cope with all of the ins and outs, all of the pressures, all of the stresses of life, and how we do that in a way that honors God. How do we have patience in the midst of all the craziness of the world that we live in? That's the question we're asking. The word that Paul uses in Galatians 5.22 literally means long-tempered. Long-tempered or long-suffering. Um, older translations use the word forbearance. Um, you know, that's, that's both of those meanings are, are implied here. We need to understand both, the meaning of both of those things in order to truly mean what Paul is talking about and for us to get the full flavor of this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at those two things. Patience says the fruit of the Spirit means long-suffering, which is endurance of persecution. The ability to endure for a long time whatever opposition or suffering may come our way and to show perseverance without wanting retaliation or revenge against those who might persecute us. And we'll look at that aspect. There's also the idea of forbearance here, which is forgiveness of one another. The ability to put up with weaknesses and imperfections of others, including other believers, believers and non-believers, and to show forbearance, long-suffering uh, toward them, uh, to show patience, to have stamina, to show grace and mercy. 
to, toward those individuals. The reality is patience is not easy. That's why we don't like to learn patience. It's difficult. By nature, we are not patient individuals. It takes time. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's not easy. It, we need, though, the Spirit of God to cultivate this in our lives. So where do we begin? Well, we, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, remember, we're talking about the character of God through the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, lives, God cultivating the, those character traits in us. You know, by nature, we're not going to tend toward these things. And so it's the Holy Spirit's presence and Him basically, not basically, Him giving us His character. These are aspects of who He is. And so I think the best place to look when we begin understanding patience is to look to God himself as our example. So the first place we're going to look is in the Old Testament where we see the patience of God. Now, a lot of people think of God in the Old Testament and that's the last thing. Patience is the last thing they think of because we have great dramatic examples of God, his wrath coming down on people, right? Uh, either people who oppose the nation of Israel or Israel uh, himself, herself. You know, that, the nation itself experiencing God's wrath for disobedience time and time again. And so we think of God in the Old Testament and we tend to think it's a God of anger and a God of wrath. And listen, there are certainly times where we see examples of God's anger, his punishment, rightly so, against people who opposed him or against his own, his own people who continued in their sin, his anger against their sin. But the fact is, we see God identifying himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6, which I quoted at the beginning of this, this uh, service. The Lord passed in front of Moses, showed him his glory, and he said this about himself. He said, Yahweh, God is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth. He's slow to anger. That's a good way of expressing what we mean by patience. God is our example. That statement in Exodus 34, 6, we need to understand that that comes, the context of this is Israel's great sin against God at Mount Sinai, their idolatry with the golden calf. Um, and in that instance, God absolutely uh, punished them for that. And, you know, he rightfully was angry with them because they disobeyed him in this way. But we also see him threaten to annihilate the nation of Israel. Uh, and he would have been justified in doing so. And, and Moses intercedes for the people and God relents. He does, not, he does not wipe them out. Now, this isn't God changing his mind. If, if, if any of you were here during our series on, the, on, the, on Moses, we talked about this. You know, Moses isn't changing God's mind. This was a test for Moses. Is Moses really going to be the intercessor for the people of Israel? God never intended to do this. This was a test for Moses, I don't believe. Uh, he intended. This was, he always intended to show compassion and grace, which is the point, right? He could have wiped them out, and some of us say should have wiped them out, but yet he show, chose to be patient. He show, chose to show mercy, to show grace, and so he displays this quality of being slow to anger. And we see Exodus 34, 6 echoed through the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 103 is a great, a beautiful example of that. Verses 8 through 10, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and rich in faithful love. He will not always cause us 
Uh, he will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our offenses. A little later that we see uh, the, the psalmist describing uh, God as a compassionate father and the way that father responds to his children. And, and being a parent takes a lot of patience, doesn't it? Uh, and God is our heavenly father and shows great patience with us. You know, even when judgment is clearly deserved, and God, you know, we see examples of that throughout the Old Testament, um, God is patient, especially when there's a chance of repentance. And we see, you know, that's, that's what Jonah discovered. Well, Jonah actually knew it. Uh, he just didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Um, but he knew God was slow. And matter of fact, when he, God proved to be that, slow to anger and compassionate, Jonah gets mad at God, right? Uh, I told you so. Jonah 3, verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, then God saw their action, the Ninevites, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from, their dis- from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. And he did not do it. And here's Jonah's response. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? I knew you would do this, God. That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were merciful and a compassionate God, slow to become angry and rich in faithful love. Like that's a bad thing. And one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asks him, is it right for you to be angry? I mean, should Jonah be angry? I mean, it's God they're sinning against, and he's choosing to show compassion. And, I, you know, if you ask me, God's shown a lot of patience with Jonah, too. Right? And so Jonah should be thankful. And listen, I, we talked about this. We did a series through that, too. I mean, this was not a small task. I mean, they were evil, evil people that God was sending him to. So you know, we can identify with, with Jonah's hesitancy. But God is merciful. He's compassionate. He always has been, and he proved that there. God said about himself that he is slow to anger. And even when his anger is necessary, brought on by continued sin, a lack of repentance, by his people uh, or whoever, you know, whoever comes against his plan or his people. Even when we see that wickedness, the human wickedness of sin, God's anger doesn't last forever. You know, Micah saw this aspect of God's character uh, that he doesn't stay angry forever is something unique about Yahweh, about the one true God, the God of Israel, something that was not true of other alleged gods, little g, not real, but you didn't see this characteristic and those other gods. Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? Removing iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his, of his inheritance. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He's saying there's no God like you. I mean, no other God does this. No other God has this kind of compassion. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. We see in the history of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, we see uh, there were times of God's anger. Yes, we see clear, clear examples of that. Um, reading through Jeremiah right now, and we see God punishing the nation of Israel for refusing to listen. Time and time again, they were warned. They refused to listen. We see those clear examples, but we see that... that Most times that comes after years and years and years of God being patient with those people. He was very slow to anger, very compassionate. And God's judgment 
most times fail after those warnings of years and prophet after prophet after prophet. God sent to them to give them those warnings. In fact, some of those prophets themselves were amazed at how patient God was with the people as they delivered those messages. Some of them got frustrated with God because he was so slow to act. They would pronounce God's judgment and then he would be slow to act and they would feel like they were, they were being hung out to dry, so to speak. Um, but God was slow. Hosea talks about this. Uh, God had been as patient with Israel as parents have to be with their children, which we've already established is pretty patient. If you have kids, you're raising kids, you understand that. I now have two teenagers, so I'm learning a whole new version of patience. One of them turned 16 Friday. Y'all pray for me. Patience. Patience. And, and teaching, teaching your child how to drive takes patience, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's just a whole new, <laughs> whole new level of patience. And we see Hosea comparing God to a parent who's patient with a child. But here's a specific comparison. A child who continues to go astray. Thank God I haven't experienced that yet. And I pray that I don't. But many of you have. Right? Your child, you teach them the best. You raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yet they make poor decisions. And, and, and that takes great Patience, And we see it expressed, Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they departed from me. They kept sacrificing to bells and burning offering to idols. He's talking about that child that just keeps going back, keeps going back, doing what he knows he's not supposed to do. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them in my arms, but they never knew I healed them. I led them with human cords, with ropes of love. To them I was like one who eases the yoke from their jaws. I bent down to give them food. And then there's Jeremiah. I've already referenced Jeremiah. He spent 40 years of his life patiently pleading with the nation of Israel to listen. Listen to God. If you don't turn back, he's going to punish you. If you don't turn back, you're going to be exiled. He spent 40 years patiently pleading with Israel to turn back to God, to change their ways, but they just would not do it. Years and years. And this is how God speaks through Jeremiah. Let's look at a few verses there. Jeremiah three nineteen and 20. I thought, how long to make you, my sons, and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of all the nations. I thought, you will call me my father and never turn away from me. However, as a woman may betray her lover, so you have betrayed me, house of Israel. This is the Lord's declaration. Then we go to chapter 8, verse 4. You are to stay with them. This is what the Lord says. Do they not return? Have, why have these people turned away? Why is Jerusalem always turning away? They take hold of deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid careful attention. They do not speak what is right. No regret. No one regrets his evil, asking, what have I done? Everyone has stayed his course like a horse rushing into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons. The turtle dove, swallow, and crane are aware of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. And then chapter 25 Verses 3 and 4, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me. And I've spoken to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed. The Lord sent all his servants, the prophets, to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed or even paid attention. They just refused to listen, but God was patient. His judgment came, but it was after years and years of warning. Something else to think about, patience has, patience has a lot to do with what we can bear or what we can carry. I mean, it is being long-suffering, 
but it also has a lot to do with how long you can carry whatever burden um, you have to carry. Uh, And we see God, Isaiah pictures an argument between God and Israel. God says that he had not laid a burden on them, but on the contrary, they had laid a burden on him by their sins, uh, with their sins. Isaiah 43, 23 and 24, you have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with incense. You have not bought me aromatic cane with silver or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins, God says. You have wearied me with your iniquities. And this doesn't mean that God literally gets tired, okay? God doesn't get tired. What this is talking about is that when God is being patient with us, many times it is because he is choosing to carry the weight of our sins. That's what that verse is talking about. And we see that. Israel in rebellion. And God chooses to carry that, to hold out, to give them a chance for repentance. And, and we see that we, you know, one of the Hebrew words, as a matter of fact, for to, to forgive means to literally bear or carry. And so we see when God is patient, when he forgives, it's only because he chooses to carry our sins on himself. And that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He took on our sins. He chose to carry the weight of our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And again, in Isaiah, we see his prophecy. We, in, we see in his words, Isaiah 53, 4, Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He bore our sickness. He carried our pains. Verse 6 of the same chapter, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, but the Lord has punished him. He took it on. He carried. He took our punishment. Has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And then Isaiah 53, 12. Same chapter, verse 12. Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. He took it on. So when Paul tells us that the fruit of the spirit of patience, the flavor of patience, when that is cultivated in our lives, he's reminding us of the God of the Bible who has chosen to take on our sins. He did not deserve the punishment. He did not have to take on our sins. He is telling us, Paul is, that we are to follow the example of the God who, took, who chose to take our sins and carry them himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He took it upon his own shoulders, the righteous anger of God, all of the evil that has existed and will exist. He took it on himself and he bore it so that we could be free, this is the true cost of God's patience. So when we're thinking about God as our model and what we should be willing to endure and not endure, there's the standard. Jesus Christ taking on the sin of the world, carrying the load, the weight of human sin, which leads us to the patience of Jesus Christ. That's the next place we're going to look, is the patience of Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the Old Testament Same God, New Testament. We're going to start with his disciples. We see that over and over again. You know, time and time again, we see Jesus teaching and them not quite getting it. Like any of us would have done any better, by the way. None of us would have, in case you were wondering. We look at them and say, boy, they sure were stubborn. We forget that we've got all the rest of the book. and We've got the whole story there. They didn't. 
and you know, years and years of tradition leading them in a different direction, you know, expecting something completely different. Um, so, you know, just give them the benefit of the doubt, but there's no denying that Jesus had to show patience with those disciples. Agreed? He had to be long-suffering with them as they, they were slow to come to an understanding of what he was doing. John begins his account of Jesus' final meal with his disciples like this. He says, before in John 13, 1, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. He never ceased. He never stopped. He stayed patient. He stayed compassionate. He loved them. And on the same night, after he washed their feet, they had finished the meal. Jesus prayed this to the Father, John 17, 12. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost. He stayed faithful. He stayed patient, except the son of destruction. And, of course, Judas betrayed him so that the scripture may be fulfilled. He, he persevered with them patiently through everything, through all of their faults and failings, all of their uh, unbelief. I mean, he continued in patience with them. And we see, just like the prophet, so there's a patience with the disciple, but we also see the same compassion in Jesus for the nation of Israel, too. Where we see him uh, sorrowed. He weeps over Jerusalem. He thinks about how patiently God had longed to bring salvation to them, to preserve them, protect them, but they would not turn back to him. His response, Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. She who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. And then Luke 19, 41, 42. As we approached and saw the city, he wept over it. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And he weeps. He agonizes. He grieves. God had been patient. And had been long-suffering with his people, yet they still refused to believe. But the supreme patience, the, the primary example, I guess the pinnacle, if you will, of patience that we see in the form of Jesus Christ is demonstrated as he endured the punishment, the shame, the violence, the agony, the wrath of God, and that horrible Death on the cross. I mean, talk about long-suffering. Talk about compassionate. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His compassion was with the people who actually did it to him, but it extends beyond that to you and me. We put him there. He chose to go. It was his, no, no one forced him, but it was our sin that required that sacrifice if we were to be free. And so when we think about Patience. When we think about long-suffering, we picture, we should picture that scene, that agony, what all Jesus endured in carrying our sins and placing them on his own shoulders. Peter sees the patient suffering of Jesus as a model for our own endurance. Um, they, they, these words in, in 1 Peter 2.20, I mean, they echo. You can see Isaiah 53 in these words. For what credit is there if you sin and are punished and you endure it. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds. You can hear the words of Isaiah in there, right? I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of what Jesus was willing to endure, that he was willing to take on our sin. And here's the point, okay? If God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one, which they are, then this is one of the ways God wants to make us more like himself. If we're talking about the fruit, the flavor of patience, and the fruit of the Spirit, and it being a character of who God is, the fruit of the Spirit is going to include the quality of patience that reflects how Jesus bore the suffering he endured for our salvation. So what does that look like when God-like patience grows in our life, when it's cultivated in our lives? Well, let's look at the patience that's needed for Christian living. Let's see how this the, the rubber meets the road here. How is this applied? You know, there are two senses, remember, of the word patience. We looked at both of those, long-suffering, which means enduring persecution, and forbearance, which means forgiveness of one another. And the word is used both ways in the New Testament. So first we look at long-suffering, endurance of suffering. The Bible teaches something very clear about Christians and suffering, and that's that God's people will suffer from the hostility of those who are enemies of God and God's people. And these enemies are both physical and spiritual, okay? I mean, we see people who are enemies of God, and we see spiritual warfare, spiritual forces that come against God. And when we think about Jesus' suffering, and Jesus' example here becomes crucial to us. We've got to look at his example. Because in his suffering, what matters is not just the fact that he suffered, but the way that he endured that suffering. We need to look at that. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14 And verse 16 to 19 as well, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, then you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then verse 16, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God in having that name. In verse 19, so those who do suffer according to God's will should do so while doing what is good and trust themselves to a faithful creator. So while enduring, you entrust yourself uh, to a faithful creator. So the message is clear here. When we are called to endure suffering, when God's people are called to endure suffering, there are a few things that we should do or there are a few things we need to be reminded of. There should be no surprise We've been warned in Scripture, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trials, you will have suffering. I mean, Peter spells that out pretty clearly here. So we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus and the apostles again and again reminded us of that. There should be no retaliation. Jesus did not retaliate. There will come a day when, you know, the books will be settled. He'll take care of that. Vengeance is his. So there should be no retaliation because we follow the example of Christ who did not fight back even in words, by the way. Um, He just endured it. And there should also be no quitting. We cannot give up because that's the temptation. You know, part of the difficulty of patience is waiting or enduring. You know, when things don't, we don't see a way out, when we don't see an end to whatever it is that we're going through. But we have to wait. And we don't just sit back and wait, by the way. The way to make it through is to carry on doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, to be busy serving the Lord 
and doing good. Um, that's one of the reasons the church flourishes in areas where there's persecution. Because people just, they get after it. I mean, you know, the, by the power and grace of God, they, you know, they, they spread the gospel. And they serve with even more vigor, with more uh, enthusiasm. Paul was clear about this also. And he knew what he was talking about from experience when it came to suffering. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Along with the persecutions and suffering that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. He's not bragging here. He's just being honest. He went through a lot. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all, giving God glory. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe, not might be, but will be in some form. And obviously some forms are more intense than others, but there will be some form of persecution. Millions of Christians around the world know what this is all about in a very real way. I mean, being ostracized from their families, being killed because they choose to follow Christ, being beaten, being... uh, kicked out of their countries. I mean, they're, you know, real persecution. There are churches that are meeting that are meeting undercover because they may get discovered. And if they do get discovered, could be thrown in jail or worse. I mean, there are Christians all over the world who know what this is, know all too well what this is all about. And we should pray for them regularly, but we should also pray for courage for ourselves too, because this day is likely to come to us, to where we are persecuted in this type of way. I mean, we face subtle forms, right? But, but we're not really worried about the police coming in here this morning and taking us all to jail for worshiping and me teaching the Bible openly. That day may come, so we need to pray for courage, that God will prepare us spiritually for the day where we might have to endure something like this and, and whether or not we will choose to stand and stand firm in what we know to be right and, and in the truth of God's Word. And so... We need to be able to respond with endurance if we face or whatever form of persecution we face. Even if it's a a lesser form that's just annoying, we need to respond with patient endurance, with compassion, and show the love of Christ. In the midst of all of suffering and persecution, there is, we're patient, but there's a, a, a sense of sort of divine impatience too. And here's what I mean by that. Not, not that you're, you're contradicting, but it's okay to have, and we should, live in a way where we're longing for Christ's return. You know, person, that's one of the benefits of suffering is that it makes us, uh, it helps us to have that eternal perspective, right? It makes us long for the return of Christ and to live uh, for, his long, for, for his return. And so, you know, to, to pray with those who've prayed, you know, how long, Lord? You know, it's okay to have that view of, of you know, Lord, you know, it's, it's not a death wish, but Lord, if you want to come back, I'm fine with that. I'm ready, you know, for all of this to end, all the sin, all the suffering, all the pain in our world. And so when we look at suffering, when we look at trials, when we look at difficulties, it's okay to look forward to the day when all of that will cease. Psalm 46, 9 and 10. You know, Psalm 46 is one of those interesting chapters that seems to have a, a little bit of, a, uh, of an uh, apocalyptic kind of, of forecast. You know, because, because of what it says, specifically in verses 9 and 10. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. Has that happened yet? No. He shatters, maybe temporarily from time to time, but not permanently. He, bu- he shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He burns up the chariots. He says, stop your fighting or cease. Be still. 
and know that I'm God, exalted among the nations, exalted above the earth. Has that happened completely yet? So we're looking forward to that. That's what we're looking forward to. The book of Revelation spells it out as clearly as we can understand that one day this all war will stop. All sin, all suffering will cease, and we can look for, it's okay to look forward to that. Right? It's okay to have that longing. We see all we see Paul certainly express that. We see God's people express that. There's coming a day when he will end suffering once and for all. And it's okay to be happy about that and to look forward to that as long as it motivates you to live for God in the present, not to go and hide in your bunker somewhere. Okay? We need to, we need to stay active serving the Lord. But until that day, our calling and challenge is to wait with hope and joy because we know that our waiting is not in vain. Psalm 33, 20 through 22, we wait for Yahweh. He is our help and shield for our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us. There it is again, faithful love rest on us. Yahweh, for, your, for we put our hope in you. And as we wait, we wait with purpose. We're not just idle, we wait with purpose. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way. He said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability, and here's the tough one, the ability to do nothing until that command is given. It's submission. It's following. It's submitting to the Lordship of Christ and following him one day at a time, one step at a time. But when he tells us to act, we act. I mean, it is... It's, it's serving the Lord. It's doing things on his schedule, on his timetable, the way that he chooses, not the way I choose. But there's another area that we, we covered pretty extensively a few weeks ago. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but there's, we need to, when we're talking about patience, we need to talk about forbearance, and that's forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness when someone else hurts you in some way. You know, I, I think I may have even used this before, but, uh, you know, there, there's... there's a, a good point here. You know, I've got two different rubber bands here, one pretty big and one pretty small. Each of us, we're going to be like one of these two rubber bands. And I've found that it's not necessarily that you're always like one or the other. Uh, all of us have been like one of these two at one time or the other. The bigger rubber band, if I take this and stretch it, I'm not looking forward to this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> if I stretch it, it takes a little bit more to pop it. It's a little harder. It takes longer. You can stretch it a pretty good way. And y'all seen those big old rubber bands, right? I mean, you can stretch them a long way. I wasn't going to do that. Might, might injure myself. But some of us are like this when somebody does something, right? Where it takes us a little longer before we break. Some of us, though, are a little bit more like the little rubber band. It takes not much at all. And like I said, you know, some people are by nature more patient than others. Some people are by nature a little quicker to anger. But I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I've been like both. And it depends on the circumstances sometimes. I'd love to tell you I've got it all together. I'm perfect, that I never lose my temper, that I've never been the little rubber band. But I've been the little rubber band, right? We all have. So what's the answer? What's the solution? Well, cultivating this fruit of this, this aspect of the flavor of patience that is forbearance with others. It comes in, it means putting up with things that other people do or don't do. When you wish they would, it means you make the effort to bear with other people, even when they irritate you or annoy you, which happens, right? Forbearance is when you choose to forgive people rather than hold a grudge against them. 
It's when you choose to overlook something that was hurtful or unkind rather than fighting back with harsh words or making sure that you get even with the person that did you wrong. We talked a lot about that when we talked about forgiveness, right? It's letting go. It's when you learn to be patient with others, mainly because you are very well aware of your own shortcomings and weaknesses because chances are there are people in your life that are having to do the same for you, for me, right? It's being aware of that. This is difficult, especially in the world that we live in with all the, the... Facebook, blogging, instant posts, Twitter. People are very quick to share their opinion or to lash out in anger and do it in, in hurtful ways. We see it everywhere. There's no shortage of opinions in our world, right, in our culture. Our access to those opinions is very difficult to exercise this type of patience in the world that we live in. But we, and we've just become a, a very impatient society. I mean, everything kind of caters to instant gratification, but we need patience with each other. We need it in life, and we need it in the church. When you think about it, you look around this room, and you think about all of the different backgrounds, all of the different personalities, character traits, and the fact that we can come together and unite toward one common goal, toward one, one common purpose, that is nothing short of a miracle. And I'm thankful for the unity that exists in this church. We never need to take it for granted, because the minute we do, we're a step closer to losing it. We, we need to practice this type of endurance, this type of patience in the church among God's people and exhibit it to a lost and dying world for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. But we have to work at it. And we have to keep working at it. We don't take it for granted. You know, the pineapple, again, it's hard work. It takes time. You got you to gotta be dedicated. You really got to like pineapple if you're going to get into it. Um, but boy, when you do... It's worth it. I told you I love pineapple, and I know y'all love it when I do this, right especially around 12 o'clock, right? But man, mm. it's just, the, the great thing about pineapple is it just explodes in your mouth, right? I mean, it's just, you know, well, I'm partly doing this for you, Olivia, I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> but, that's, that's, that's the payoff, right? I mean, it just, it's, it's on the inside right here. I know it's there, but I got to work to get to it. But boy, when I do, it just flows. It flows out, the flavor. And the same is true with patience. It takes a lot of work to get there. It takes dedication. It takes humility. It takes a willingness to admit when you've fallen short, to repent. It takes allowing God to teach. And it, yes, it means praying for patience, too which we don't like to do, but then accepting the way that God chooses to teach us patience. But boy, when we do, when we experience that flavor flowing in us, and then we, it flows out of us through showing it to others, practicing, practicing it with others, God is glorified, and his name is exalted. It's hard to be like Christ in this way. It is. To let this fruit of his spirit ripen, this flavor ripen in our lives, but at the same time, we know how desperately we need it. And I just want to close with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We'll close here. Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And that is the, my prayer 
for myself, for this church, for each and every one of us, that we would experience the beautiful flavor of the fruit of patience and that God would be glorified. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being willing to cultivate your fruit, your character in our lives. We know that we are imperfect at best. We fall short, and then especially when it comes to this area, we struggle. We struggle with patience. We have become very impatient. We don't like to wait. Um, we want our version of justice when we're wronged. We want to get ahead of you when it comes to seeing people pay for the things that they do, whether toward us or others that we feel like are unjust. Well, we don't like to wait for your plan to unfold. We, we get ahead of you in accomplishing your purposes with good intentions many times. We get out in front and we end up falling on our face because we're not following you. We're not submitting to you. And like with all of the flavors, this requires submission. This requires yielding to your spirit. We know that the fruit of the spirit is not possible in our lives apart from your presence in our lives and are submitting to you. And that submission begins the day we receive salvation, admitting our sin. As we talked about, Jesus, you chose to carry, you chose to take on our sin so that we wouldn't have to. In order to experience the fruit of the Spirit, the joy of salvation, we have to accept your sacrifice, your forgiveness. We have to invite you into our lives so that we can be free from sin. And I pray that if there's somebody here in this place who has not done that at home, that they would just cry out to you now or, or come and speak with me during this time of invitation to discover how to make that decision. But they can cry out wherever they are and ask you to come into their lives, recognizing that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory, that we all need salvation, and that you are the only one who can give it because you died and you were raised three days later. You paid for our sin. We can be free. For the rest of us, whatever area of cultivation that needs to take place, whatever part of our heart that needs to be worked on, I pray that we would open that up to you, that we would, we would submit to you and allow you to go to work so that we can be perfected in this area and all of, of the flavors of fruit. But today, as we talk about patience, that you would just speak to us and show us what it is that needs to be done and that we would allow you to do it, however long it takes, showing endurance. Lord, we thank you that you continue to work on us. We thank you for your patience and your love and your compassion. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?